Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Showboat, the classic story from Edna Ferber that inspired one of the greatest American musicals. This is the eighth book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads, featuring the acclaimed Canadian actress, artist, television, and radio host, Marilyn Lightstone. You can find the entire series online at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads Edna Ferber's Showboat. Chapter 15 The problem of Kim's education, of Kim's future, was more and more insistently borne in upon her. She wanted money, money of her own with which to provide security for the child. Ravenel's improvident method was that of Paddy in the leaky roof. When luck was high and he was showering her and Kim with luxuries, he would say, "'But good God, haven't you got everything you want? There's no satisfying you any more, Nola.' When he had nothing, he would throw out his hands, palms upward, in a gesture of despair. I haven't got it. I tell you, I give you everything I can think of when I am flush, and now when I'm broke, you nag me. But gay, that's just it. Everything one day and nothing the next. Couldn't we live like other people, in between? Enough and none of this horrible worrying about tomorrow. I can't bear it. You should have married a plumber. She found herself casting about in her mind for ways in which she could earn money of her own. She took stock of her talents, a slim array. There was her experience on the showboat stage. She could play the piano, a little. She could strum the banjo, thanks to Joe and Queenie's days in the old Cotton Blossom low-raftered kitchen. She had an untrained true and rather moving voice of mediocre quality. Timidly, with a little nervous spot of red showing in either cheek, she broached this to Ravenel one fine afternoon when they were driving out to the Sunnyside Hotel for dinner. Gaylord had had a run of luck the week before. Two sleek, handsome chestnuts seemed barely to flick the road with their hooves as they flew along. The smart high cart glittered with yellow varnish. None of your cheap livery rigs for Ravenel. Magnolia was exhilarated, happy. Above all else, she loved to drive into the country or the suburbs behind a swift pair of horses. Ravenel was charming, pleased with himself, with his handsome, well-dressed young wife, with the cart, the horses, the weather, the prospect of one of old man Dowling's excellent dinners. They sped through Lincoln Park. Their destination was a two-hours drive north, outside the city limits, a favorite rendezvous for Chicago's sporting world. At Dowling's, one had supper at a dollar a head, and such a supper! The beefsteak could be cut with a fork. Old man Dowling bred his own line of fat cattle, Old Lady Dowling raised the plump broilers that followed the beefsteak. There was green corn grown in the Dowling garden, fresh plucked tomatoes, young onions. There was homemade ice cream. There was a huge chocolate cake, each slice a gigantic edifice, alternating layers of black and white. Can't I drive a while, gay dear? They're pretty fisky. You'd better wait till we get out of ways, where there aren't so many rigs. 
The fine, cool, late summer day had brought out all manner of vehicles. By that time, the nags will have some of the skittishness worked out of them, too. But I like to have them when they're skittish. Papa always used to let me take them. Yes. Well, these aren't canal boat mules, you know. Why can't you be content just to sit back and enjoy the drive? You're getting to be like one of those bloomer girls they joke about. You'll be wanting to wear the family pants next. I am enjoying it, only... Only don't be like your mother, Nola. She lapsed into silence. During one of their many sojourns at the Ontario Street Hotel, she had struck up a passing acquaintance with a large, over-friendly blonde actress with green-gold hair and the tightest of black bodices stretched over an imposing shelf of bosom. This one had surveyed the Ravenel menage with a shrewd and kindly, though slightly bleary eye, and had given Magnolia some sound advice. "'Why don't you go out more, dearie?' she had asked one evening, when she herself was arrayed for festivity in such a bewilderment of flounces, bugles, jets, plumes, bracelets, and chains as to give the effect of a lighted Christmas tree in the narrow, dim hallway. She had encountered Magnolia in the corridor, and Nola had returned the woman's gusty greeting with a shy and faintly wistful smile. At more evenings, young thing like you. I notice you're home with a little girl most of the time. I guess you think that run-run is about all I do. Magnolia resented this somewhat, but she reflected instantly this was a friendly and well-meaning creature. She reminded her faintly of Ellie somehow. Ellie as she might be now, perhaps. Blousy, overblown, middle-aged. Oh, I grow out a great deal she said politely. "'Husband home?' demanded the woman bluntly. She was engaged in the apparently hopeless task of pulling a black kid glove over her massive arm. Magnolia's fine eyebrows came up in a look of hauteur that she unconsciously had borrowed from Ravenel. "'Mr. Ravenel is out,' and started on toward her room. The woman caught her hand. Now don't get huffy, dear. I'm an older woman than you, and I've seen a good deal. You stay home with the kid, and your husband goes out. And will he like you any better for it? Net. Now, leave me tell you, when he asks you to go out somewheres with him, you go, want to or not. Because if you don't, there's those that will, and pretty soon he'll quit asking you. She had waddled stiffly down the hallway then, in her absurdly high-heeled slippers, leaving a miasma of perfume in the passage. Magnolia had been furious, then amused, then thoughtful, then grateful. In the last few years, she had met or seen the wives of professional gamblers. It was strange. They were all quiet, rather sad-faced women, home-loving and usually accompanied by a well-dressed and serious child. Much like herself and Kim, she thought. Sometimes she met them on Ohio Street. She thought she could recognize the wife of a gambler by the look in her face. Frequently she saw them coming hurriedly out of one of the many pawn shops on North Clark near the river. The windows of these shops fascinated her. They held often such intimate, revealing, and mutely appealing things. A doll, a wedding ring, a cornet, a meerschaum pipe, a Masonic emblem, a Bible, a piece of lace, 
a pair of gold-rimmed spectacles. She thought of these things now as she sat so straight and smartly dressed beside Ravenel in the high yellow cart. She stole a glance at him. The color was high in his cheeks. His box-cut covert coat with the big pearl buttons was a dashingly becoming garment. In the buttonhole bloomed a great pom-pom of a chrysanthemum. He looked very handsome. Magnolia's head came up spiritedly. I don't want to wear the pants, but I would like to have some say-so about things. There's Kim. She isn't getting the right kind of schooling. Half the time she goes to private schools, and half the time to public, and half the time to no school at all. Oh, well, I know there aren't three halves, but, but anyway, and it isn't fair. It's because half the time we've got money, and half the time we haven't any. Oh, God, here we are, driving out for pleasure. But, Gay, dear, you've got to think of these things. And so I thought, I, I wondered, Gay, I'd like to earn some money of my own. Ravenel cut the chestnut sharply with his whip. Pooh, thought Magnolia, he can't scare me that way. How like a man to take it out on the horses just because he's angry. She slipped her hand through his arm. Don't, don't jerk my arm like that. You'll have them running away in a minute. I should think they would, after the way you slash them. Sometimes I think you don't care about horses, as horses, any more than you do about... She stopped, aghast. She had almost said, Then you do about me as a wife. A long breath. Then, Gay darling, I'd like to go back on the stage. I'd like to act again. Here, I mean, in Chicago. She was braced for a storm and could have weathered it, but his shouts of laughter startled and bewildered her, and the sensitive chestnuts as well. At this final affront, they bolted, and for the next fifteen minutes, Magnolia clutched the little iron rod at the end of the seat with one hand, and clung to her hat with the other as the outraged horses stretched their length down the rushy country road, eyes flaming, nostrils distended, hooves clattering, the light high cart rocking and leaping behind them. Ravenel's slender weight was braced against the footboard. The veins in his wrists shone blue against dead white. With a tearing sound, his right sleeve ripped from his coat. Little beads of moisture stood out about his mouth and chin. Magnolia, white-lipped, tense and terribly frightened, magnificently uttered no sound. If she had been one of your screamers, there probably would have been a sad end. Slowly, gradually... The chestnut slowed a trifle, slackened, resumed a normal pace, stood panting as Ravenel drew up at the side of the road. They actually essayed to nipple innocently at some sprigs of grass growing by the roadside, while Ravenel wiped his face and neck and hands slowly with his fine, perfumed linen handkerchief. He took off his black derby hat and mopped his forehead, and the headband of his hat's splendid white satin lining. He fell to swearing, softly, this being the form in which the male, relieved after fright, tries to deny that he has been frightened. He turned to look at her, his eyes narrow. She turned to look at him, her great eyes wide. She leaned toward him a little, her hand over her heart, and then suddenly, 
They both began to laugh, <laughs> so that the chestnuts pricked up their ears again, and Ravenel grabbed the reins. They laughed, because they were young, and had been terribly frightened, and were now a little hysterical following the strain, and because they loved each other, so that their fear of injury and possible death had been for each a double horror. That's what happens when you talk about going on the stage, said Ravenel. Even the horses run at the thought. I hope this will be a lesson to you. He gathered up the reins. A person would think I'd never been an actress and knew nothing of the stage. You don't think that Catch's Catch-Can performance was acting, do you? Or that hole in the wall a stage? Or that old tub a theater? Or those plays? <laughs> Good God, do you, do you remember? Sue, if he loves you, go with him. If he ain't good to you... Oh, but I do, cried Magnolia. I do think so. I loved it. Everybody in the company was acting because they liked it. They'd rather do it than anything in the world. Maybe we weren't very good, but the audiences thought we were, and they cried in the places where they were supposed to cry, and laughed when they should have laughed, and believed it all, and, and were happy. And if that isn't the theater, then what is? Chicago isn't a river dump, and Chicago audiences aren't rubes. You've seen Majeska and Mansfield and Bernhard and Jefferson and Ada Rahat since then. Surely you know the difference. Well, that's the funny part of it. I don't much. Oh, I don't mean they haven't got genius, and they've been beautifully directed, and the scenery and costumes and all, but... Oh, I don't know. They do exactly the same things. Well, do them better. But the same things that Schultze told us to do. And the audiences laugh at the same things and cry at the same things. And they go trooping around the country on land instead of water, but trooping just the same. They play heroes and heroines in plays all about love and adventure, and the audiences go out blinking with the same kind of look on their faces that the Rivertown audiences used to have, as though somebody had just waked them up. Oh, don't be silly, darling. Oh, here we are. And here they were. They had arrived in ample time, so that Magnolia chatted shyly, and Ravenel chatted charmingly with Pa and Ma Dowling, and Magnolia was reminded of Thebes as she examined the shells and paper roses and china figurines in the parlor. The dinner was excellent, abundant, appetizing. Scarcely were they seated at the long table near the window when there was heard a great fanfare and hullabaloo outside— up the winding driveway swept a tallyho, and out of it spilled a party of Chicago bloods in fawn covert coats and derby hats and ascot ties and shiny pointed shoes, and they gallantly assisted the very fashionable ladies who descended the perilous steps with much shrill squealing and shrieking and maidenly clutching at skirts, which clutchings failed satisfactorily of their purpose. Some of the young men carried banjos and mandolins. The four horses jangled their metal-trimmed harness and curveted magnificently. Up the steps swarmed the gay young men and the shrill young women. On closer sight, Magnolia noticed that some of these were not, after all, so young. "'Good God!' 
Ravenel had exclaimed, and it frowned portentously. Do you know them, Gay? It's Bliss Chapin's gang. Oh, he's giving a party. He's going to be married day after tomorrow. They're making a night of it. Oh, really? How lovely. And which one's the girl he's to marry? Point her out. And for the second time, Ravenel said, Don't be silly, darling. They entered the big dining room on a wave of sound and color. They swarmed the table. They snatched up bits of bread and pickles and celery and munched them before they were seated. They caught sight of Ravenel. Gay! Well, I'm damned! Gay, you old foxy queller! So that's why you wouldn't come out. Hey, Blanche, look! Here's Gay, the bad boy! Look who's here! I thought you were going out to Cramp's place. "'Gay said sullenly, in a low voice, to one of the men. "'He chose the wrong confidant, "'the gentleman being neither reticent nor ebriate. "'He raised his voice to a shout. "'Oh, that's a good one! Listen! "'Foxy Gay thought we were going out to Cramp's place, "'so what does he do? He brings his lady here! <laughs> "'Hey, Blanche, do you hear that? "'Now you know why he wouldn't come!' He bent upon Magnolia a look of melting admiration. And can you blame him? Altogether, no. You go to hell, said the lady named Blanche from the far end of the table, though without anger, rather in the manner of one who was ready with the choice bit of repartee. Indeed, it must have been so considered, for at its utterance, Mr. Bliss Chapin's pre-nuptial group uttered shouts of approbation. "'Shut up, you jackass,' said Ravenel then, sotto voce. "'And, oh bellowed the teaser. "'Little Gay's afraid he'll get in trouble with his lady friend. <laughs> "'Gay's lady friend now disproved for all time "'her gentleman friend's recent accusation "'that she knew nothing about the art of acting. "'She raised her head and gazed upon the roistering crew "'about the long table. "'Her face was very white.' Her dark eyes were enormous, and she was smiling. "'Won't you introduce me to your friends, Gay?' she said, in her clear and lovely voice. "'Don't be a fool,' whispered Ravenel at her side. The host, Bliss Chapin, stood up rather red-faced and fumbling with his napkin. He was not sober, but his manner was formal, deferential even. "'Mrs. Uh, Ravenel, I... Uh, "'Charmed. I remember seeing you. Someone pointed you out in a box at the... 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 the, the. He gave it up and decided to run the two words together. The theater. Chapin's my name. Bliss Chapin. Call me Bliss. Everybody calls me Bliss. Uh, he decided to do the honors. He indicated each guest with a graceful, though vague, wave of a hand. Stantine, Fifi, Gertie... Violet, Blanche, Mignon, lovely girls, lovely, but uh, we'll let that pass. Um, Georgie Skiff, Tom Haggerty, Billy Little, Little Billy, we call him. Pretty cute, huh? Know what I mean? <laughs> Dave Lansing, Jerry Darling, that's his actual name. Can you imagine what the girls do with a name like that, hmm? "'Boys and girls, this is Mrs. Gaylord Ravenall, wife of the well-known pharaoh expert, and a lucky dog he is, too. No offense, I hope. Just my rough way. I'm going to be married tomorrow. Anything goes evening.' 
prolonged applause and shouting, a twanging of mandolins and banjos. Speech! shouted the man who had first called attention to Magnolia. Speech by Mrs. Ravenall! They took it up, shrilly, hoarsely, the Fifis, the Violets, the Billies, the Jerrys, the Jerrys. Speech! Speech! Ravenall got to his feet. We've got to go, he began. Sorry. Oh, sit down! Throw him out! Foxy gay! Shut up, gay! Ravenall turned to Magnolia. We'll have to get out of this, he said. He put a hand on her arm. His hand was trembling. She turned her head slowly and looked up at him, her eyes blank, the smile still on her face. Oh, no, she said, and shook her head. Oh, no, I like it here, gay dear. Speech, yelled the tontines, the mignons, the daves, beating on their plates with their spoons. Magnolia brought one hand up to her throat in a little involuntary gesture that betokened breathlessness. There was nothing else to indicate how her heart was hammering. I, I can't make a speech, she began in her lovely voice. Speech! Speech! She looked at Ravenel. She felt a little sorry for him. But I'll sing you a song if you'll lend me a banjo, someone. She took the first of a half-dozen instruments thrust toward her. Magnolia! Do sit down, gay dear, and stop fidgeting about so. It's all right. I'm glad to entertain your friends. She still wore the little set smile. I'm going to sing a song I learned when I was a little girl and lived on a showboat on the Mississippi River. She bent her head above the banjo and began to thumb it softly. Then she threw her head back slightly. One foot tapped emphasis to the music's cadence. Her lids came down over her eyes, closed down over them. She swayed a little, gently. It was an unconscious imitation of old Joe's attitude. It's called Deep River. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a song that we used to sing on the river. She began to sing softly. When she had finished, there was polite applause. I think it's real sweet announced the one they called Violet, and began to snivel unbecomingly. "'Sing another,' they said, still more politely. "'Maybe something not quite so sad. You'll have us thinking we're at prayer meeting next. First thing you know, Violet here will start to repent her sins.' <laughs> so she sang, "'All God's children got wings.' They wagged their heads and tapped their feet to that. I got wings, you got wings, all of God's children got wings. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my wings, gonna fly all over God's heaven, heaven. Well, that, they agreed, was better. That was more like it. The red-faced cut-up rose on imaginary wings to show how he, too, was going to fly all over God's heaven. The forthright Blanche refused to be drawn into the polite acclaim. If you ask me, she announced moodily, I think they're rotten. I like something a little more lively myself, said the girl they called Fifi. Do you know what married that gal? I heard May Irwin sing it. Oh, she was just grand. No, said Magnolia. That's the only kind of song I know, really. She stood up. I think we must be going now. She looked across the table, her great 
dark eyes fixed on the red-faced bridegroom. I hope you will be very happy. A toast to the Ravenals, to Gaylord Ravenall and Mrs. Ravenall. She acknowledged that too, charmingly. Ravenall bowed stiffly and glowered, and for the second time that day, wiped his forehead and chin and wrists with his fine linen handkerchief. The chestnuts were brought round. Bliss Chapin's crew crowded out to the veranda off the dining room. Magnolia stepped lightly up to the seat beside Ravenall in the high dog cart. It was dusk. A sudden sharpness had come into the evening air, as always, toward autumn in that Lake Michigan region. Magnolia shivered a little and drew about her the little absurd flounced shoulder cape so recently purchased. The crowd on the veranda had caught the last tune and were strumming it now on their banjos and mandolins. The kindly light behind them threw their foolish faces into shadow. You heard their voices, plaintive, even sweet. The raucous note fled for the moment. Fifi's voice and Jerry's, Gertie's voice and little Billy's. I got wings, you got wings, all God's children got wings. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my wings, gonna fly. Magnolia turned to wave to them as the chestnuts made the final curve in the driveway and stretched eagerly towards home. Silence between the two for a long half hour. Then Ravenall, almost humbly, well, I suppose I'm in for it, Nola. Shoot. But she had been thinking. I must take things in hand now. I have been like a foolish young girl when I'm really quite an old married woman. I suppose being bossed by Mama so much did that. I must take Kim in hand now. <laughs> what a fool I've been. Don't be silly, darling. He was right. I have been. Aloud, she said, only half-conscious that he had spoken. What did you say? You know very well what I said. I suppose I'm in for one of your mother's curtain lectures. Go on. Shoot and get it over. Don't be silly, darling, said Magnolia, a trifle maliciously. What a lovely starlight night it is. She laughed a little. <laughs> Do you know, those dope-faced fifis and tontines and mignons were just like the Ohio and Illinois farm girls dressed up. The ignorant girls who used to come to see the show. I'll bet that when they were on the farm, barefooted, poor things, they were Annie and Jenny and Tilly and Emma, right enough. Thanks for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Showboat. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Nimer. This is the eighth book in our Marilyn Lightstone Reads podcast series. Other readings include Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, Pride and Prejudice, and The Woman in White. You can also help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.